Hey guys, we're diving into Matthew 16, uh, sorry, 15 and 16 today. Matthew 15 and 16. No, I was right the first time. It's 16 and 17. There we go. I mean, we're just flying through these guys. Matthew 16 and 17. That's right. So you guys may well know my love for the Princess Bride and my obnoxious ability to be able to quote said movie at uh, at nauseum. <laughs> um, and a, a buddy of mine and I, we have as our goal in our form of communication to try to quote The Princess Bride within the conversation as smoothly as possible. So we try to do this all the time. So it's always on my brain. But I was thinking of a certain scene when the man in black approaches Indigo, and Indigo says, who are you? And then the man in black says, no one of consequence. And then Indigo says, I must know. And man in black says, get used to disappointments. And I was thinking about that scene. Thank you, by the way. Thank you. Oh, you're clapping. Oh, you're too much. You're too much. I was thinking about that scene in light of these two chapters that we're going to check out here. The identity of Jesus is significantly put on display here in these two chapters. There's a heightened intensity to Jesus's identity. And there's a transition that's going to happen as that gets paralleled or juxtaposed with what Jesus says he's going to do. So what does it really mean for Jesus to be who he is as the Messiah, as the Son of God, and even as God? Wait till you see what Matthew 17 is all about. And how does that relate to what Jesus says he's going to do? Because this is the first time that we will hear Jesus say he's going to the cross. So I want his identity to be on your brain as we read these two chapters. So here we go. Matthew 16, and I'm starting in verse 13 because we read through uh, verse 12 last time. So Matthew 16, verse 12. All right. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. So notice that. Who do people say that the son of man is? And they said to him, well, some are saying you are John the Baptist. And others are saying Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said to them, but what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of God. There's just royalty and divinity all wrapped up. 
in what Peter just said there. And so that's going to be put on display his role as a Messiah figure. Wait till you hear more about that. And then his divine nature. So you can almost say his human nature and divine nature get highlighted in these two chapters. And Jesus answered Simon Peter and said, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And you know what? And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm actually going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so whatever you bind or reject on earth, that's going to happen in heaven. And whatever you permit or loose on earth is going to be permitted in heaven. So being given the keys of the kingdom is going to give them authority. And he says that to, to Peter. And Peter's going to be leading the church here. So I'm just going to pause here real quick, just for a, a little mini moment to talk about this passage. It's a tricky passage. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, you are Peter. And Petros um, is a word that means rock or individual stone. And Jesus says, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And then he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. So what is the rock? that Jesus is referring to. And there's a few options. So is he referring to Peter himself? That this rock is you. Um, that's a very Catholic take on this. And uh, Catholic tradition, as I understand it, uses this to recognize Peter as the first Pope. So papal authority, papal authority is being given here. That's option one. Uh, Protestants, I think, also do take this position as well, but they don't see it as Peter becoming the first pope, but rather just the leader of the, of the church. A second option is this rock refers to the area that they're in. He's building his church in the the area, they're in Caesarea Philippi. Um, I don't remember more than that for, for this option. And then thir the third option, the third option is um, that this rock is the confession that Peter made, that you are the Christ. And it is on this rock, the confession I, that I'm the Christ, <clears throat> that I will build my church. So there you go. Let me keep reading. 
So he has just um, announced and, and affirmed that he is, that he is the Christ. And, oh, he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he's the Christ. Okay? So his identity is very much the focus here. And then notice what he says right after that, or, or rather, what Matthew highlights. And this, this is very intentional. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And you're expecting that's right. And we're going to take out the Romans. But it says, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. So this doesn't make any sense to the disciples. There is no resurrection belief like this available to Jews at that time. They just did not have this concept. I think this concept of a resurrection of all people was very very much brewing at this time, but that was going to be at the end of history. So Peter says, uh, Jesus, I need to sit you down and teach you some things about what it means for you to be the Messiah. And he took him aside, verse 22, and he began to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> yep, to rebuke to reprove, to chide, to censor, reprimand, admonish strongly, oh boy, Peter, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Just think about that language. This shall never, you cannot go to the cross, Jesus. I mean, we're, we're hearing this after the fact, but also Matthew is writing this after the fact as well. And so, there's some strength to this statement. And Jesus turned, of course, and says, get behind me, adversary. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on man. Remember, this is the Peter who just confessed that he's the Christ. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> But in the very next scene, Peter's just missing it. He's not seeing clearly what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then check this out. Very next section, Jesus tells his disciples, here's the deal, guys. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So that thing that I'm telling you I'm going to be doing you guys are actually going to be doing this. Now, here's the cool thing, guys. Um, Luke is really going to pick up on this. And in the book of Acts, when he writes it, he's actually going to parallel Peter's story to Jesus's. In other words, the suffering that Jesus will encounter and experience Luke will intentionally parallel Peter's story and Paul's, by the way, but Peter's story, he'll be confronted by the religious leaders and, um, and you, you can see all of this happening. So, and the suffering that Peter's going to experience. So here Jesus says, whoever 
would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit does a man have if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each according to what he's done. And then Jesus says, truly I say to you, actually there's some standing here who are not going to taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What? So what does Jesus mean there? Um, so we got a few options. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It could be a reference to his ascension. So you guys are going to see me coming into my kingdom when I ascend after my resurrection. This is all Daniel 7 stuff that we'll talk about later. And um, you, you'll be around to actually see that happening. Option two is maybe the next chapter. So let's get to the next chapter. Remember, we've got Jesus's identity on the brain. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother, John. So it could be that the fulfillment of what he just said, some of you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Um, it could be right here. I don't know what I think. I don't know. But took Peter, James, and John, and they led him up a high mountain. And it says Jesus was transfigured, metamorpho. Uh, he was transformed in front of them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. I don't know if you're catching this, but this is language um, that one is uh, from Ezekiel. Uh, and in Revelation 1, Jesus is described this way. But God shows up, and this is a description of, of God. The clothes being white and light, the face like a sun. So there's, and we're going up a high mountain. And guess who shows up? But Moses and Elijah <laughs> on a high mountain, uh, probably representing the law and the prophets. Um, here, but they both had mountain experiences with God. Both Moses and Elijah were on a mountain, and God shows up in some kind of storm cloud theophany. So I think what's being said here is that as Jesus transfigures, he's showing off his divine nature. We have the human nature talked about. I mean, if it's right for me to be even thinking like, like this, I'm not sure, but that Messiah mission of Jesus gets put on display in the previous chapter, but now we've got the divine nature of Jesus put on display. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents, one for you, for Moses, and for Elijah. And I, I don't know if that's quite Peter getting this yet. I kind of wonder. It kind of feels like he's putting Jesus... Moses and Elijah um, on par with each other? I don't know. I don't know. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. So guys, this is Mount Sinai language, right? So we have a Mount Sinai 
event, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. This is Psalm 2 language, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. The same thing that happened at Jesus' baptism is now happening here with a voice from heaven. And God is announcing who Jesus is. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I think even that language is intended to highlight Jesus' identity. Everything that just happened, look to Jesus. That should all be informing your identity of Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision. So notice that messianic secret thing again. Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. No, second time, Jesus has said that now. Has never said it up till these chapters. And the disciples asked him, then why did the scribes say that Elijah has to come first? And he answered, Elijah does come. And he'll restore all things. And I tell you that Elijah already has come. And they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. And so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. And the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, You'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It's really interesting that the, the parallel between who Jesus is and who, who the disciples got to see Jesus be and be revealed as, and their struggle to believe, and he has said, that I will give you the authority. Just in the previous chapter, authority over, and the gates of hell will not overcome. But they're not there yet. They're not there yet. And I think the this highlights what he's going to say next uh, with the need for the cross and the resurrection. That needs to happen for them to have faith and understanding in who Jesus is and what he's doing. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, third time now, guys, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is about suffering. Take up your cross, follow me. This is what I'm going to do. I want you to follow. And then this interesting little snippet at the end here. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax 
went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when they came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. My kingdom is not about taxing people. I'm not going to be taxing people. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to pay for them. The tax is going to be on me. And so the sons are free. And everybody who is in my kingdom will be a son or a daughter. But then Jesus says, however, to not give an offense to them. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Oh, I love it. I'm, I'm sure there's a whole bunch there that I don't know anything about. It's so fascinating. I do think it's interesting. Jesus has just said, here's how I'm going to die. Here's how the kings of the earth operate. And I want you to see that, Peter. And I also want you to see that my kingdom movement is not going to be one of <clears throat> violence. It's not going to be one of stealing from people. It's going to be one of generosity and grace and forgiveness. And so Peter is very much at the forefront of these chapters. And um, there's probably a lot more there to think about as well. <clears throat> Hopefully there was some good stuff here for you guys as you process who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, who he is, and, and what that means for our lives.